Welcome everyone to the Sacred Hockey Mask. I am Peter and I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Lady Shasha coming to you all the way from sunny Orlando, Florida. Very sunny, very sunny today by the, by the sounds of it. Uh, yes. It's a heat wave here too, but you know, let's not compare temperatures because it's not going to sound like a heat wave. Uh, in comparison, this is a horror movie podcast. We get together, we've watched a horror movie, and we talk about it. It's really quite that simple. And on today's episode, we are looking at a vote winner. See, here's the thing. Uh, on patreon.com slash TV, over the last seven months, eight months, there's been votes every month for newish VOD-style movies that, you know, we, you know, between options that we'll cover eventually... Originally for Screams, but these, these vote winners have been piling up in terms of not coming back for a while. We've started this show, so those Echoes by Midnight, or Echoes by Morning votes, rather, I should say, uh, are going to be done on this show, and this is the first of that list. Uh, so this is Sleepless Beauty. This won the vote back in, I want to say November? This is when this one won the vote? Uh, so we're just doing them in order, uh, and we'll be kind of dipping back in and out of this list as we're going, uh, and in between other new movies. So this is called Sleepless Beauty, and it is a Russian film. Uh, it's a bit of an oddball pick. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me when I look at this IMDb page is that only 290 people have rated this on IMDb. So we're we're doing a deep cut today, which says to me that we may actually turn more people onto the movie <laughs> than mm -hmm. the movie's fans will come finding this because there doesn't seem to be that many of them comparatively. Yeah, I... I hadn't heard of the movie until you told me about it. I just found it because I was just looking for what's what's coming out this month on VOD. What's going straight, you know, from the horror world, and this had a cool poster and had an interesting title. I looked at the trailer and went, "Oh, this seems interesting. I'll, I'll put it in the vote." Not knowing if it would win, but it did. Uh, clearly, the patrons thought it looked the most interesting out of that batch as well. Uh, so, yeah, we'll start spoiler free as, as we as we always do, and I will uh, give you a warning before we do go into spoilers. Uh, the basic premise of this is that a young woman named Mila is kidnapped and effectively conditioned and tortured in isolation for a period of time. And that's really all I can say <laughs> without getting into spoilers. But that is the, the basic gist of it. And there's a lot of stylistic things to talk about. Uh, we could do that in spoiler free and then we can obviously get more in, in depth with the, the, the plot and things. Uh, but I, I guess before I ramble on any further, I will I'll let Shasha jump in here when I ask her the simple question. How did you feel about Sleepless Beauty? Um, when I first read the description, I wasn't too excited about it because that's not my, my favorite genre of movie. But I like the way they approach this and I, I found it enjoyable. Were you worried it was going to be like torture porn? Yeah, I thought that I would be bored and that it would be kind of um, a theme that's been revisited so many times over the past 10 years that I thought it was going to be stale, but they actually made it feel new again. Yeah, I think the big thing that jumps out for it is its sense of style. It does this thing where the, whoever's doing this to her, uh, you always get you, it always comes back to it's being broadcast to some secret chat room who are watching like a live stream of, of these events. And we, we get to see some of the chat from the the uh, the administrators who are running it, but then also just the people in chat who are watching it. Uh, and I know that you watched the English dub version. I'm curious, was the, the chat room in English when it was on screen? 
No, what they did is um, in the subtitles, they would have like in brackets what it said in the chat and then right, okay. underneath it if there was any spoken dialogue. Interesting. So I was able to read the English translation in the chat. It kind of reminded me of, um, did you get to see the movie Spree? Spree? I did not know. It's a it's a uh, pretty cool movie about this uh, young man that does like ride sharing, like Uber type of driving, but he's also a live streamer, and he's trying to get his views up on live stream, so he starts uh, pretty much becoming a serial killer, and a large part of the movie is what's happening in the chat. I think it adds an, an extra element, and this movie does the same thing. Yeah. It adds an, that extra element of watching the chat. I think the big thing with the chat for me in this movie is how realistic it felt and, and not in a good way it felt realistic in that these felt like shitty people on the internet who were saying all the awful things that you might assume are really not the, the sort of chat who would watch a woman being tortured like this like what sort of yeah. things would they say they're dropping sex jokes they're saying misogynistic things they're saying you know it's i don't want to just say it's 4chan but it, like it, it's, it's very <laughs> much it's very much that genre of, of talk but there's a lot of like even before she's kidnapped when we first get a little introduction to her there's a lot of security camera footage there's always this sense of being watched there's always this sense of uh, and i don't want to get into it too much before we get to spoilers but there's also kind of like a almost like a b plot that we know mm -hmm. that the a plot relates to in some way but we don't really know how until quite late in the film and that's kind of going on as well which i think adds a lot to it i think the big thing is for me is that as i was watching this i'm like okay is this just mindless like whatever or is this is this trying to say something is this a movie that's got like a like a, a strong creative voice but and it feels like it does because of the direction the direction has a lot of little stylistic touches but i was thinking okay i don't I, I, i'm not an expert on on current pol politics in russia or anything like that i, I don't know exactly what the mindset is on a lot of things but there there was little things i was kind of noticing that felt like this maybe was there's one thing in particular actually that I, th I thought was really notable just based on my vague knowledge of 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 like russia of, of like current day russia that I'll, mm. that I'll bring up um now part of me did think yeah but would would the censors in russia like let any of this out like would they, would they like not like censor this thing uh but then I thought, nah, because it's not, it's not being overt with anything. It's all kind of subtext. It's all mm -hmm. that kind of thing, for the most part, anyway. So maybe, maybe that's the, the, the reason. Or, or maybe my, my understanding of like their censorship is a little bit different than, than what it actually seems like. But on its own, it's a psychological kind of breakdown of a, a character. Uh, there's a bit of a mystery element. Uh, I, I would say I liked it, mainly for the direction and for the mood that it was kind of giving me. Mm -hmm. uh for for the for the, the duration uh because of the security camera style because of the the watchers it's not perfect there's definitely some rough edges and there's definitely some things that maybe could have went a bit further with and it's you know just in its ideas and it's in its con concept it kind of ends like i kind of got what the ending was going to be about five minutes before it happened and i thought oh wait there's nothing else it's just exactly what i i thought five minutes ago uh mm -hmm. I, I kind of thought i was expecting like another element to it but uh yeah speaking of cameras i actually really like that style of them intercutting the um surveillance footage or cctv footage with some found found footage style i don't know whether you would call it found footage like this new style of filmmaking where it looks like it's coming from you know the viewpoint of someone watching the laptop i don't know whether you we would still call that found footage or what would we call that 
yeah, it, it, it is. It, it, it's like a it's like a subgenre phone footage. It's the the screen capture phone footage mm-hmm. <laughs> is is what it is. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I think that added a lot to the movie. I and even some of the regular cinematography I thought was kind of evoking. Mm-hmm. Like there's a shot in her apartment building when she's coming up the stairs, and or going down the stairs, whatever it was. But it's, the camera's kind of looking down the stairwell, and it kind of it's not an ang- it's not. I mean, the angle's not what any security camera would ever be. But the way it mm-hmm. just held on this static shot as we see her coming up the, the various flights of stairs made it feel like a like a voyeuristic kind of mm-hmm. vantage point rather than a traditional just oh here's a shot of her coming up the stairs like it was trying because there's two ways you can make people feel watch you can do the the pov thing where someone's like it feels like someone you're sneaking up behind someone and it's like you know the camera's mm-hmm. going up behind someone's back and they're looking over their shoulder and you're like oh you feel you feel like you're the creepy stalker who's chasing someone but then you have this more kind of like um omnipotent kind of like no like anyone is watching because this is like a, a bird's eye view or this is a security camera view or and you have that kind of almost colder presence because it's it's more like a everything's the threat instead of just the one thing that's following you and they're both valid for different reasons and different purposes but that's what this movie does it does a lot of that uh and i, I thought it was uh well handled and I, I think the timing was good because it made the having a variety of different types of filming styles makes the movie um, less likely to become boring. Like if they had just kept it just screen capture the whole way through, I think it, it probably might have teetered on on losing my interest. But because they they knew just when to show some uh, CCTV footage and just when to show some cinematic footage, it kept it fresh. Yeah, I think if you go do that, like Unfriended uh, or or Searching mm-hmm. or those movies, uh, you have to write the entire thing with the gimmick in mind of that this entire thing is. And mm-hmm. you know, Unfriended had a little little tricks to use the like, you know, the main character who's using the laptop, like whatever they're searching on Google was telling you more about the story. It was like a new way of telling a story because we were getting to see mm-hmm. what they were typing and we understood it because we've all we've all used those search engines, we've all used those programs. There was like a and- like, I, I get why, like, an 80-year-old probably wouldn't get that movie, but for anyone who's mm-hmm. young enough who knows all these programs, there's, like, a connection to it. You understand all of mm-hmm. it in this base level that, that kind of works. Searching did an excellent job of that, especially going back and showing how the computer looked in the 90s or early 2000s and then coming up to the present day. They did. I think Searching did a really great job with that. Honestly, that's the, the biggest... Uh, I mean, there's a few contrivances in that movie, but the biggest plot hole is that laptop lasted... All the way from the yeah. 90s up until 2018 <laughs> or whatever it was. <laughs> I call shenanigans. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know how many people are, have got Windows 10 installed on the same computer they had Windows 95 installed in <laughs> back in mm-hmm. the 90s. <laughs> I would love to know. I bet it's a very, very small amount. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, now you're right. You're right. I, I think because they knew they were shooting like a normal movie for, I'd say, the majority of the screen time, uh, mm-hmm. They didn't, you know, like, if, if they just told this story exactly the same way they did, but it was all from the perspective of the, that laptop, and it was all from the perspective of the few security cameras that were in the, the captive space, it, it would have been dull as shit. <laughs> it would have been so dull, yeah. be- because it would just be that. And the, the constant chat would have probably gotten irritating, but because it just goes to it here or there, when something's going on, where we need to see the reactions, 
Um, it's actually a really good device because if you didn't have that chat, if you didn't have the voyeuristic element of it, if you just if you just had her and the one man who's wearing a mask, who's mm-hmm. doing all this to her, like you would lose a lot of the the personality that this film has. Mm-hmm. It, it it would just be like this guy putting her through hell, uh, with with very little context. It, it, at least this way we get to see some of the people in the chat like theorizing like i mean they're, they're clearly shitty people because they're here and they're clearly shitty people because of what else we know they want the, the people running this to do but they don't actually know the purpose of this so them questioning that and try to theorize that kind of gives us like a like an uneasy tether like a tether we don't like because we don't like these people because they're they're clearly awful but bizarrely, though, the closest thing that we have is a conduit for the audience because they're the ones who are watching just like us and going, oh, what's what's going on here? What's happening? You know, what's the purpose of I, this? I also like the inclusion of skeptics because there were a few times mm. in the chat where someone would say, oh, this is fake. This is clearly fake. This isn't really happening. And I think just back in the visuals, I think this just had a, a better look to it. So many VOD movies just have this really bland look. I felt like this still looked like a movie. You know, when it was just in this... Because a lot of it's in one room. Like, a lot of it is mm-hmm. in this one kind of crappy room. Which is very Saw-like, almost. Because it's this kind of, like... Yeah. It's not quite a bathroom, I, but there's tiles and there's... Yeah. I was going to mention the colouring choices in that room. Kind of reminded me of Saw. Because when she was in that room, it kind of had a, a greenish-blue... Um, I, I, I don't know whether they used an overlay or whether they just lit the room that way, but it, that reminded me of saw and the tiles on the on the uh, wall. I think I think one of the people in the chat even referenced saw. I think one of them even say, "Is this is this like saw?" I think that's one of the mm-hmm. at, at least in the, the subtitled version that I watched. That's what it said. One of them said, uh, and there was a couple of references like that. So it was definitely painting it in a sort of contemporary world where they were making pop culture references as opposed to because the feeling this kind of gives me sometimes is that it kind of feels like it's on its own little bubble where it doesn't really feel like it exists in our world but this clearly did but there is other elements of the movie that feel like it doesn't because mila is the only character in this whole movie who has a name every other character is credited as uh mila's mom mila's dad the captor administrator one administrator two uh there's a very prominent figure who's just referred to as the ambassador. They never say exactly ambassador for what? Ambassador, mm-hmm. like, like you know, ambassador's wife. It's all very just the titles of what they are in the story as opposed to actual names. And I think I think that kind of plays out of the themes, the idea of, like, none of these people, none of these characters are important to the people doing this. This is all, they're all just part of the system, part of the game that they're messing with, uh, if, you know, or something to that effect. Uh we get Mila because it's the one character we have to care about, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Also, the captor reminded me, or the way, the style of torture that she endured kind of reminded me of the way the torture was set up at the beginning of Martyrs. Obviously not as extreme as oh, that. Sure. But they have, yes. But the, having the girl locked in a room and having the same person come in day after day and abuse her was, was similar. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the key difference here is that this feels very like mar- martyrs i mean i don't want to go into it because it's like deep into the, the the you know the the spoilery section of that movie but oh yeah martyrs it just feels like super cruel and nasty and like mm-hmm. i mean this is cruel and nasty obviously but it it, it feels like there's a, a like an end game there's a purpose there's like mm-hmm. they're, tr- they're trying to get her to a certain point the administrators keep talking about 
oh, this, this is phase one, because this will put her in this mental state, which can lead to this next part. And it felt like there was always, and you know, it, it does, I mean, not to get too spoilery, it, there is kind of a, an end goal in mind. Yeah, it's, just, it's an interesting little film. I mean, I, I would recommend people check it out. I mean, I, I don't know why it's only got a 4.3 on IMDb. I feel like that is a, a bit in the harsh side. Like, the, the movies you typically see with 4.3 tend to be... I yeah. Know, uh, <laughs> I definitely will rate this higher than that. Yeah, wor- worse, th- worse than this. Much worse than this, I would say. Um, I, I think this has some merit. Uh, it, it, it's funny, because I think it still gets it by in a lot of ways, because... There's, I definitely could have done with like getting to know more of Mila before she got kidnapped. Like she has very little before that moment. Uh, she basically she buys a fish that she wants to take care of. Okay, so she cares about animals. So I, I guess like we should care about her because of that. Uh, there's something I like the cinematography of that of that scene when she's getting the fishbowl ready. Oh yeah, it's great. I, I like when she's. Because it, it just stares at the fishbowl and she's like putting in the pebbles and she mm-hmm. and she's walking around the kitchen and it's all through the water and yeah, there's a lot of nice little touches like that in this. Uh, I mean, even even when she's going to the like the uh, the, the the fish place, it's a pet mm-hmm. shop, but it looked like it was just all aquarium stuff. But uh, and she's just walking down the aisles and just does this again. There's kind of a mood. There's kind of a it's almost like cliche to say that it's a Russian movie, so everything looks very grey because that's what the colour we associate most with Russia. But mm-hmm. it kind of does; it has this kind of grey vibe to it. It's very oppressive. The whole thing's very oppressive. Although the there, oh, I'm trying to think of the city. Is it Moscow? Downtown Moscow is the opposite. It's so colourful. The buildings, that, yeah, like, the, yeah, the buildings are so colourful. Yeah, I, I think when we think of Eastern Europe, though, I think we all have like a grey like sea of buildings in our mind <laughs> i think that's what most people think of when they think of eastern russia or eastern, eastern russia eastern europe uh mm-hmm. um i don't know if it's because it's colder there mm-hmm. so we, we just associate it with with being less colorful over uh, here it's like the difference between um new england and america mm-hmm. and down south in new england it's kind of gray every the houses are all pretty much the same color white or gray but in the southern part of the United States, like Texas or Florida, it's not unusual to see a bright pink house or a yellow house or like really colorful. It's just some of the film making stuff to talk about that we've not done, like, you know, performances. And for performances, we're really talking about one person for the most part. Uh, not not to discount the guy in the balaclava because he he's menacing, you know, he, he has a presence, but it's all about Mila uh, and her reacting to what she's going through. Uh, it's kind of a, a thankless role in a lot of ways because she has to kind of be scared and yell and cry and and all of these things. There's a couple of key moments that we'll get to in spoilers that I think she has a particularly good job of uh, reacting to. I thought everyone did a pretty good job. I, I especially liked performance of the captor because he had to do a lot of physical acting with no dialogue. Hmm. Yeah, not for sure. I mean, the only other characters we really have is we have Mila's parents who we see briefly. We have, like, an investigator who's looking for her because she's went missing. Um, he might be the weakest element of the movie, like, on his own. He's just kind of dull. Uh, mm-hmm. And his scenes are... His scenes are there to lead to other things, but his scenes on his own and the investigation itself is kind of fruitless. Uh, it's, it's, this is one of these things where it's a really, really tone-heavy, mood-heavy film that's got a kind of a simple idea that it wants to get to by the end and a lot of the other elements are all a bit simple 
uh, as a result of that, which I think is both good and bad, depending on the example. Because for some of them, it's like, okay, you're actually making the idea more potent because you're not overcomplicating it. But then for other things, like getting to know Mila, it'd be maybe better to actually know her a lot better, or maybe care about her in a way that's like this. Or or maybe that's the point, though, is that we are a lot like the people in that chat room, and that they don't know who she is, so we shouldn't know that much about her either. We, we get the bare minimum, so we care a little bit about her, so she seems more like a human being. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I can't, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of something to add, but you pretty much put it perfectly. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, in that case, <laughs> we'll go into uh, the spoilers. We'll, we'll say spoilers for Sleepless Beauty. Yeah, so she's kidnapped, but that's not the first thing we see. The first thing we see is the ambassador who almost gets killed. He's, he's There's an attempted assassination. And mm -hmm. the funny thing about this movie is that it doesn't really tell us what his political side is. We, we have no idea if he is right, if he is left. We have no idea what his policies are. We have no idea what his goals are, and we have no idea what side the evil people behind this chat room and what's going on, who, who are behind this attempted assassination. Like, we don't know what side they represent. We have no idea. It's very open for interpretation in a lot that's, of ways. Yeah, that's a good choice because the audience can view it either way. They, this By leaving that open, whether uh, the audience is on the left side or the right side, they'll still get the same um, kind of messaging. Do you think... Do you think this is because Russia would have had a problem if it picked a side? Yes. Well, I think any country yeah. would have. I think if you if you had done it in the United States and uh, we, actually we had a similar movie. Oh gosh, what was it called? You the Hunt. Of, you think of The Hunt, yeah. Yeah, and they tried to kind of be middle of the road with that by making both sides the bad guys. Like both the right and the left are bad guys in that movie. Yeah. It didn't work very well, but <laughs> they, they, they try. They, they tried. Mm -hmm. uh, well, what, what I mean, though, is that, like, as much as, yeah, certain audiences don't like it, most most countries let their movies do that. Most countries won't censor mm -hmm. them. Most countries will let there be messaging in the films that are against certain ideas or against certain issues. And it tends to be more left-leaning because most people... Who make movies tend to be more liberal. The, po the point being is that most countries will still let filmmakers do that. Uh, what I'm saying is, do you do you think they had to intentionally not say outright the bad guys are this side and the good guys are this side because the Russian the, the Russian <laughs> the Russian government <laughs> is what I was trying to say there. The Russian government or censors would outright say, no, you're, you're not doing this, or you're not releasing this? I'm not sure, because I'm not... I don't have enough information or, or knowledge of how the Russian government works. <laughs> I feel like just saying, I'm a stupid American, we don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I don't, I don't know whether they are similar to, like, how... We know how the Chinese government would, would kind of uh, yeah. view that. Or the polar opposite of the Japanese government they are they're pretty liberal as far as what they allow in movies like oh sure like yeah. pretty much everything goes in, in Japan Russia I don't have a good feel for what how um relaxed or how strict their government regulation is re regarding film yeah I, I'm just I'm just posing the I mean I don't have an answer for you I, I'm just posing the question because yeah. no let's ask the audience there's got to be somebody <laughs> in our in in the audience that has more of a knowledge about uh, the Russian government policies, put in the comments if you live in Russia, have lived in Russia, or just familiar with 
with that so that uh, we get a little bit more of an idea. Of, yeah, it, it was um, just it was just something I was thinking about just just as I was talking about it there because like maybe it is intentional because it wants to be like vague for the because I mean, mm -hmm. that, that that can be a valid tactic that could be just a complete artistic choice. But part of me wonders like if you just outright said no no these bad guys represent uh, the Russian government like if the Russian government can clearly see that then mm -hmm. do they put a you know do they put a stop to this being made do they put a stop to it being released well i don't know i i i i'm just i'm it got me thinking it was just that was just something i was thinking about but anyway uh there's an attempted assassination and we see the chat room for the first time and the administrator says okay don't worry he's still alive he's in the hospital but we'll go to plan b we're going to have his wife kill him and the chat goes wait how are you going to do that <laughs> like what <laughs> what do you mean because wife kill him and that's all we get at that point right that's all mm -hmm. we get and we switch to mila we meet her uh the, the credits are playing out I, I actually even realized the credits were playing out at first because they're in the corner of all the security camera footage and it kind of just they made it look like it was text that you would see in the bottom of a security yeah. camera so it didn't click right away that i was seeing credits down there the same i didn't notice the credits right away until maybe I don't know, maybe after 30 seconds, I happened to notice that they were changing a little bit. Like, the the lettering was changing to reveal the credits. Yeah, um, but, you know, we, we, she buys her fish, she goes home, she puts the fish in the fishbowl. She has one brief interaction with a neighbor that comes off as quite creepy, I, I would say. The way he stays at her, the way he... Because I think she drops either a coat or a scarf, or, like a big scarf mm -hmm. or something like that. And he kind of sniffs it and keeps it. Because uh, I, cause I, I was thinking in the splits, I was like, oh, that's an excuse to go talk to her. If you've got a crush on her, you know, hey, you dropped mm -hmm. the thing. You can be, you can be the little yeah. hero because you brought her thing back. Instead, he's, you know, he's like, oh, this smells good. I'm keeping this. And I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> Definitely a bit of a I weirdo. I like the reveal towards the end because wasn't that him that ended up having to call the police? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, yeah, and what, it turned out that, that their infatuation with her was more because they seem to be transitioning into i'm going to call it transitioning into femininity but uh, when you first see that scene i i misread it as he wanted to have a relationship with her yes that's what i thought too i, I mean i don't know if it's like it, it could be he you know he wears drag it could be uh, mm. that he is trans or sorry or i should yeah. say she is trans in, in this case but mm -hmm. The reason why, so this is this is the, this is the thing that was interesting to me. This is the thing that got me thinking about the political message of the film. Uh, since you've brought it up, is mm -hmm. when this is revealed later on in the film because we, we see we see this character again when the when I don't even think he's a police officer because he because he says at one point let's phone the police. So I, I guess he's not actually a cop. He's just mm -hmm. a PI or something. But when he questions this neighbor, the neighbor's acting a little bit cagey, right? Mm -hmm. At the door kind of like not opening it that way just still kind of being kind of intense with his eyes and and you know whatever he's been a bit cagey and then mm. when we see this character again uh not including the weird wacky uh psychedelic dream sequence which we'll talk oh, about yeah, separately we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> yeah we'll next. talk about that <laughs> but we uh when we see this character again it's when mila's finally came home and this character hears the noises and calls the police. But obviously, when we see this character again, it's, you know, in a, a woman's dress, which, there's a wig on, makeup's on, clearly it's a thing. The reason why this, I got thinking about this is because the one thing that I think I'm pretty sure I know about Russia is that on a state level, they are not accepting of this. This this is oh, not yeah. this yeah. is not something uh, 
Because because when you said they're transitioning, I I don't think this character would be allowed to transition. I, I, this, mm-hmm. th- I think this is a secret. I think this explains why when the, the, the PI was at the door, it was very, you know, it, it was a very hush-hush kind of moment. And it was, mm-hmm. this character did not want to reveal anything. It, you know, it, it had that kind of feel to it. And at the time it came off as kind of creepy, like, it's, you know, are they in on it? Are they, yeah, are they part of this? Did they help kidnap her? But, no, I mean, it may just be this. It may just be hiding their true nature. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, uh, it adds some... You know, the, the idea that this character was actually the one who ultimately called the police and got help mm-hmm. is a very interesting spin, which would not be what I would have called the first time we met this character at the start of the film. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they, they set them up to be like a, a red herring, basically. Yeah. So... But to get back to Mila, because she gets kidnapped, right, right right after she puts her fish in the bowl, right? She has a, a tranquil moment of peace looking mm-hmm. at her fish in the bowl. And don't think it's escaped me, the the mirroring of the fish in the bowl and then her being held captive in this one room. It's, it's very mm-hmm. intentionally a parallel, right? I'm not... No, I, ain't, I ain't missing that, <laughs> right? But she gets kidnapped. She gets taken to this room and she's told the rules over the, over the, the speaker uh she's not allowed to sleep at all if she tries to sleep she'll be interrupted uh she has free time between like noon and 8 p.m between 8 p.m and whatever time it was it is is vr time she gets a vr headset put on and she has to basically it's, it's basically the modern equivalent of a uh, clockwork orange style right yeah it's, it's just that with a vr headset instead of like having to peel the lids back and make them watch something <laughs> it's the it's the it's the high tech but much less visual version of that <laughs> effectively right mm-hmm. uh and then but also there's like a few hours in the morning where she has a daily task uh or her morning activity or whatever the the phrasing was uh which tends to be when balaclava man comes in and does something absolutely horrible to her uh mm-hmm. or makes her do something horrible uh so On both a physical and a, a mo- uh, mental level because the the task that she was given with the keys, trying to find the right key, and she thought that she had to find the right key in order to get to the food. And then it's revealed later that she was supposed to be finding the key to the door for her to escape. On a psychological level, that is like really, really torturous. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, she's explained that a bit more. Uh, you know, the, 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 the character comes in uh, with a box with like, plates of food uh, three plates of food and this is like after this is on like day four or five like she's been here for days without food she is starving at this point the the voice says you've got 60 seconds to find a key because he drops like a, a, a key chain like a you know with like i don't know 20 keys on it or something whatever it meant it is and she rushes over and she's like looking to the keys and she's like she gets it to the right key for this padlock on this box at maybe the 40 seconds left mark and she opens it up and she starts wolfing the food down and she actually manages to eat all three plates of food in 40 seconds. Like, she is ravenous and she is mm-hmm. taking the chance for food. And then at the end, the voice says, you failed. Mm-hmm. You never found a key for the door. And then she turns around and looks at the padlock on the door and realizes that they were giving her a chance to escape. This was like a test to mm-hmm. see if she had been reduced to the point where she was so hungry that she wouldn't even think about anything else. And this is just cruel. It's this test of, like, where her mind's at. Because this is you know, one of the times in the movie where it cuts back to the chat. It's like, see, 
her mental state is ready for phase two or three or whatever number we're at at this point. This is the thing. So many things happen to her over the course of about an hour in this movie that it's really hard to remember the the order of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the first things that happens to her is that she's told... Uh, I mean, the, the, the voice basically says to her over the speaker that she had an abortion and that mm-hmm. she was awful for doing so and how would you feel if your mother had an abortion? Maybe she should have. Uh, you know, says some fill things to her. Uh, which again made it feel very political to me. It felt like this is probably a very debated topic. No, it's not debated in a lot of places, but perhaps more aggressively uh, in in Russia. She actually like, dig through what looks like just random bits of like dead animals and and meat and whatever, uh, and she finds this doll. Right? So, to go back to the ironic thing where the key for the door was on that keychain, but she used her time to get to the food instead, not knowing that it was uh, for the door, similar thing to this is that after almost everything else happens to her, before the, the sort of the end game of all this stuff, is that she hears a noise, and it's the, it's, the ba- it's the doll, the baby doll, and there's a phone inside it, and she could have called for help, like, on day one. But the only reason why she even knew it was there is because the battery was dying, and it's the little beep that it was making. Because because this is this is like several this is like six seven days in, and clearly because it's not been used, it's lasted a while without it dying. But the little beep she's hearing, I I can only assume is the sound that's saying, "Hey, plug me in. I'm out of battery," mm-hmm. and that's how she finds it. And it's this. So she actually calls whatever Russia's number is <laughs> for you know the mm-hmm. emergency services. She, she gets through, she's like, I've, I've been kidnapped, this is my name, but she can't tell him anything else. It gets cut off because the, the phone just dies, and that's it. And then, you know, like, she just cries because, again, this chance was here the whole time. This, this, this method of escape was here the whole time. It's just like they're just breaking her down. Uh, I know you want to talk about the rats, though. Why don't you explain what happens with the rats? <laughs> well, there's this point where they bring this coffin into the room, and they force her into the coffin, and there's a little window at the top of the coffin that they put, I can't remember whether it was two or three rats in with her. And they explain to her that eventually these rats are going to get hungry, and they're either going to start chewing on you, or you have to do something to prevent that. And uh, I'm not sure about the passage of time, whether she was in that box for days or hours, I'm, I'm going to guess it was days because they're everything they do to her is so torturous. And when I finally let her out of the box, she's covered in blood. And you can see that she has had to resort to killing the rats before they started nibbling on her. Yes. She looks like a vampire when the, the box is opened again the next day. Because yes. she's got blood all down her. And there's like dead rats next to mm-hmm. her. Uh, you, you think she'd still be hungry enough to have a munch. Like, and mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe eat more of the rats. I don't know. But, you know, at this point, she's basically a zombie. At this point, you know, he sits her up in the chair. She's barely moving. She's kind of almost just placid. She's not fighting back anymore. She can't even cry anymore, except maybe a slow tear rolling down her cheek. Like, she's been broken down the whole time. And... There's been, like, hints of maybe the imagery she sees in the VR headsets, but it's kind of like mm-hmm. what we eventually see when they take her away for the medical procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do something to her brain. We don't really quite know what it is at first. But as as this operation's happening, we get this trippy... I, I call it a dream sequence, effectively. It's kind of like... French... French art meets H.R. Giger... <laughs> And 
if you don't know who H.R. Giger is, he's the mm-hmm. artist, the concept artist, who designed all of the stuff in the original Alien, uh, and was notorious for putting very phallic imagery into all of that art. Uh, this is very much like that, and there's a lot of there's a lot of dicks, there's a lot of vaginas, there's a lot of boobs, but not only just are they there, but there's like arms coming out and nipples, and there's but it's all animated. This is all animated. Don't make that clear. This is not uh, like a live action thing. <laughs> when you said French, it kind of reminded me of. Um, have you ever seen this science fiction cartoon called um, Savage Planet? I have. It's been a while, but I have seen it, yeah. Yeah, the animation style kind of reminded me of that meets Monty Python's animation style, <laughs> but with like this type of Salvador Dali surrealism mixed with abstract psychosexual Im- imagery. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super sexual, and part, part of me is thinking, okay, did they, they target her because she had an abortion because they disagree with that, that action? But, uh, you know, in part of me is thinking, is this all to do with, like... Like, you know, because we, we know this is somehow going to connect to this ambassador's like, assassination, but we know it's not, this is not the ambassador's wife, because by this point in the movie, like halfway through the film, we actually get a scene where we get to meet the ambassador's wife, and she's divorcing the ambassador, and they're, they're just kind of at a divorce meeting, it's kind of a simple scene, and there's not much to say about it, but we've seen her, we know who the ambassador's wife is. Um, I mean, to cut a long story short, all of this is a test run. This is what they're going to do mm-hmm. at the ambassador's wave. This is all just to prove that this is going to work, which is yes. effectively to condition someone to kill someone else. And mm-hmm. it's... But during this dream sequence, not only do you get all this art, not only do you get all this weird erotic art where things are kind of like merging together. It's almost like a 2D animation version of the thing in some ways, where there's just mm-hmm. body parts going into other body parts and... Blah, 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 blah. Uh, but we see the neighbor we see the neighbor character and they're naked and then they're eating the hand and the and the, the dining table and i was what, what's going on here like what exactly is this is this kind of like her fear of this neighbor because the neighbor admittedly was acting a little creepy you know from, from the mm-hmm. perspective that we had earlier on is this you know sort of seeping in there because of that uh, is there that mistrust that she has of her neighbor? Is that kind of like a fault? Like, like, as much as it's a red herring to us because of you know as to where the movie's going, is it also kind of a, like a, a natural red herring to her in that she she's fearing the wrong people? She's fearing someone she's not supposed to, which again makes me think: is this commentary? Is this is this like social and political commentary that I'm getting from this? Uh, it kind of felt like it was. Uh, and the idea that it's being amplified by these people who are doing this to her and manipulating her brain and and like enhancing the fear of the wrong people, I, which again is something that political parties do, right? It's like you mm-hmm. know, it, it's the fear of immigration, the fear of whatever. Is this we're going mm-hmm. to make you fear other people so you'll vote for us out of fear, uh, regardless of whatever else we're doing? That's you know not in your best interest but it kind of feels like that if it, i feel like i was getting that from this i don't know what, what was your take on this this dream sequence i i kind of liked it it added something to the movie for me that i didn't expect like i completely did not expect to see that when they revealed what she was looking at in her viewfinder um also in, in made you think of like what type of subliminals were wrapped in those images to get her mind to warp the way it did yeah uh because we get a sense that we see some of these weird faces 
and the subliminal or it's not even, is it subliminal when it's a VR headset strapped to her head and just beaming this shit at her constantly yeah. Uh, yeah. but we get a quick sense of that um, but it is such a different like the movie has a vibe up until this point but this is where it, it feels like it's going mad science and it feels psychedelic in a way that it didn't before uh, in a way that just gave it this extra bit of spark, I would agree that it kind of added something at that point where I was still into the movie and I was kind of like game for whatever it was doing at this point. But it was kind of like, oh, this is something interesting to add in, get into Act 3. This is something to sort of shake things up a little bit and give it this extra... Even if it's not like an extra layer from a narrative point of view, although I'd argue, given everything I just said about what I think some of these things in the dream mean, uh, it does give it a stylistic extra element an extra stylistic layer so we we go into that and then she wakes up and they let her go they open the door and she just walks out and then two creepy old ladies show up wearing the identical jackets to each other and hats and they drive her home i don't i don't know if this is standard protocol in certain places but uh the pi that her dad hired who, you know, they went to her apartment at one point and looked looked into her computer and stuff. They put up a camera so they could see if she comes back. And I'm like, is that standard? That feels extremely illegal to me, but... Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> uh, different cultures. I, I, I won't... Uh, <laughs> I won't make any rash judgments, but... felt a bit dodgy. So she goes home, and she, she can barely speak or anything at first. And she gets home, she goes into... The, you know, she eventually breaks down crying. She goes into the bath. It's a whole... Like, she's been through hell, she's been through torture, she's gotten home, and she feels truly alone still. Uh, and her dad comes over, right? You know, her her dad's actually at the morgue, like, identifying a body, because it might be her, and it's not. And he's like, oh, he gets, like, a, he gets a message, and it's like, oh. Like, clearly there's been, like, a... The camera's picked up that someone's there, so he's got he's gotten a message to go and check out the apartment, and he, he goes. But when he walks in... She's like terrified and she's hiding behind the the wall and she's she, she was in the bath so she's she's completely naked at this point, um which to the movie's credit never felt gratuitous it never felt like mm-hmm. it was eye candy or anything like that it, it always felt kind of just vulnerable and it also never like tried to show you too much like it was always kind of she was always kind of hunched or in shadows or or whatever yeah it yeah. was it was definitely done to show the effect that it's had on her on her psyche and that she's just been so brutalized and beaten down that just to be able to clean herself was like some i mean anyone would want want to do that immediately when you get uh back home so i that's the way i took it i didn't take anything sexual from it at all so i agree they they did a good job with that well i think the other thing it adds to it is just what she's about to do which is stab her father to death i think when you see the because you don't see the security camera footage in the scene you just sort of see like you know artistic kind of angles and like just like implications of what she's doing with the knife uh you don't really see too much of the impact but like a couple of scenes later you see the pi watching the footage and we get mm-hmm. to just kind of see it in this stark uh you know it's it's actually a really good example of like showing it kind of from her perspective in a way in the scene itself and then showing it in the style of the security camera which has been a big like recurring theme of the movie is what do these things look like when they're just from this angle where you're not like one is personal one is like part of the story one is part of uh like being there with the character and the other one's this more no i i'm separate from the character i'm watching from above because i am above them or their i'm not in their world i am i am a god to their story because i am outside of it kind of thing um 
But I, what I was going to say, though, is that her being uh, completely naked as she's stabbing her father very violently and viscerally just made it even look more, like, I don't know, psychotic, more deranged, more like, oh my god, what have they done to this woman? Because she is completely broken. But that is not to forget the other cool visual of this scene. Because this, this might be my favourite scene in the movie. Between how deranged she looks stabbing her dad, how sad that is in general, but the what she sees when she looks at him, like that that morphing like demonic kind of face. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the animations kind of melding with his face. Uh, like that's super dark. If I we actually skipped over a scene because uh, uh, after the conditioner, they test it first. They put they put a random guy with a mask on. In yeah, front and I of think her. the mask was of her father's it, face. Yeah, it was. It? Yeah, that, that was that was the test. Yeah, they, they 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 put a guy with a mask that looks like her father in front of her, and she 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 kills him with a with a mallet. Uh, which. Because one of the first things they do, actually, earlier on in the film is they bring in a random girl and the guy with the balaclava kills the girl mm. in front of her. It's the, almost, it's the idea that they're trying to, like, just shock her into violence. That they're trying to, like, mm-hmm. beat it into her, uh, both literal and figuratively. It's it's, it's very it's a, it's a very horrific film. I mean, that's why it's a horror movie. It's, it's not... It's a, it's a very different type of horror movie <laughs> to, to most, I would say, because of the horror that it's, uh, it's dealing with. Um... But this woman's life has been taken from her. Like, she's still alive at the end, technically, but she brutally murders her father and it ends up in a in a hospital. In fact, one of the things I didn't like about the ending, actually, is that the hospital she goes to is, like, the furthest thing from looking like a real, like, psychiatric hospital that I ever... Like, it, yeah. It's such a movie thing. Like, like I've seen this in other movies, like, from the 90s and 80s, where, oh, a psychiatric mm-hmm. hospital will look like a rundown building, and it'll, it won't be, like, a proper facility. And I'm like, no, it just... It's such a movie cliche to have a psychiatric hospital look like this. Well, they had some... That in, in the United States, we had some that looked like that, but that was in the 1940s the 50s like, and, but they yeah. were still showing but they were still showing this in the 80s and 90s as if they still looked that way and it was like no that was the 40s that's not how any of this looks anymore i mean i suppose but the caveat i'll add that i mean for all we know maybe russia's still looks like this i mean maybe mm-hmm. it does right i can't say for sure that russia don't have hospitals for, for this type of patient that looks like this mm-hmm. but it felt like a movie trope to me to have this mm-hmm. this setting for it, so it, it stuck yes. out a little bit. It stuck out a little bit, and then the other side of the ending, of course, is that the the wife of the ambassador is drugged and she wakes up in the same room and she starts to hear the same speech from the the voice on the on the speakers uh, that uh, Mila did, and I think that's again why I felt that the film was being political is because it was kind of this they use someone innocent and random to test this on with no regard for her life who she is uh they just picked on her they they they, i mean i you could argue that maybe picking on her because she had an abortion was less because they disagree with that act and more because it was something they could exploit they they could because it felt like they were exploiting that guilt that she might have over doing that most of the scenes with her on her own with the captor uh they split it up just enough with other scenes and the other scenes aren't always as interesting, don't get me wrong, but there was still a welcome change to the mood and pacing, I think, just to separate it up. Because it, cause it, you know, monstrously depressing, <laughs> like, watching her go through this, that you mm-hmm. kind of need that break. If you don't have that break, then you end up with, like, I don't know, the road in terms of depression, <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of misery. 
oddly, I didn't feel depressed watching this, which I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, on a scale of hostile to martyrs, this is way closer to hostile than it is to martyrs as far as, as intensity. I like how it didn't exploit the the subject matter in a way that would describe it as torture porn. I don't feel like this movie was made just to do set pieces of torture. I think, no. like you were saying earlier about um, what underlying political elements it may be expressing, I I don't feel like I watched something that was just just for the sake of torturing someone. I think it, the movie did have something to say, and I think that um, the execution of it was really, really well done. Yeah, and I would also add on to that that most of what happens to her isn't actually gory or anything like that. You know, torture porn no, not at all. tends to be you know, physical body stuff. And for other mm-hmm. ones, you know, starving or, or whatever, like none of this was that at all. It, it was more, oh, let's put her in a box with a couple of rats or let's, uh, you know, make her watch someone else die. It was it was mostly psychological, physical mm-hmm. as well in the sense that they're, they're depriving her of certain things, but not, not in the sense that they're, you know, sawing off like kneecaps and <laughs> like sanding down parts and whatever else, or pouring acid on her or anything yeah. like that. You know, it, it was it was nothing like that, and I, I think that helped that helped from ever crossing a line into where it was just trying to shock us. It felt like there was always a purpose behind everything the the villains were doing in the movie, um, and I think also by putting us in the chat room effectively with the other chat members who are there and into this now they do point out that some of the chat members leave over the course of the film the, the idea being mm-hmm. that they're probably not okay with what they're seeing that this is going too far uh even though they were clearly okay with someone being assassinated uh earlier on in the film but i think putting us in there with them it's suggesting that you know we're part of this like if they're saying there's a problem with society as a whole by putting the audience with that element it's saying that we are part of that society. Obviously, it gives it a lot of flavor. It gives it a lot of things that we've already said, but it also gives it that extra little dimension as well. But that was, <laughs> I guess that's the, the 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 thrilling conclusion to my uh, my attempted analysis of Sleepless Beauty. Um, I while I did compare it to a lot of other films during the course of our discussion, mm-hmm. I do have to say that this was very much its own thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I say, there's moments you can say, oh, this this room reminds me a little bit of Saw, or this mm-hmm. this idea reminds me a little bit of that, or you know, the, the laptop screen makes you think of this or that. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, it does it does feel most like its own thing. And like I say, there are some things to critique. There's, I think we can maybe could have gotten to know the main character a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe explore. You know, they they raised the whole thing because because when they brought up the abortion thing and we we have her like sort of like find a doll and. She even holds it at one point for comfort in a weird mm-hmm. way. Like, I almost felt like, it, felt like it was going to have more to say about that and maybe, like, getting a little bit more about how she actually did feel about that abortion in the first place. You know, whether that mm-hmm. be via flashback or maybe via her parents talking about it in, in a separate... If they even knew, they might not have, but, uh, you know, like maybe explore that a little bit more. There was definitely some avenues where I felt like, oh, you can make me care even more. And you're kind of choosing to stay far back. And maybe the point of that is to make me feel a bit more like I'm a third, you know, like, a, it's like I'm like, you know, it's a bird's eye or I'm a fly in the mm-hmm. wall. I'm a POV. I'm not meant to be too connected beyond the the basic principles. But 
uh it could have went a little bit further with that yeah i mean is there anything you want to like critique is there anything that you you know felt could have um, been better no i like i really liked how they did the movie i'm i'm with you on maybe giving adding another five or ten minutes of character development at the beginning of the movie into who mila was um just to make the audience care about her a little bit more so yeah i agree with you on that other than that I don't have a lot of criticism because I, I really felt that they executed this movie very, very well. This is a weird question, but what's your favorite torture? <laughs> it's going to be the key because that just, it's just, a, it's just a mind <laughs> that the, she's so hungry and she's thinking, Oh, I, I got to get the key so I can eat. And then to find out afterwards that she could have gotten out by the door. Oh my God. I think I, I probably would have tried to attack that guy the next time he came in. <laughs> I, I, I that would have broken me. Here's a question. Do you think if she had figured it out, got the key, opened the door, and got out the door, would they have just let her run and that be it? Like, would they have let her go? They probably had a contingency plan. Probably another torture just outside the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're probably right. That's, that's probably the truth of it. Not a bad little movie. Uh, and it's a short one as well. It's like 85 minutes. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. like a, a, a big time sink or anything like that. It's... It's got some mood. It's got some vibes. It feels like it has something to say. I, I, and it's free to watch on Tubi. You don't have to pay to see it if you it, have the Tubi app. It's on Tubi, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Although you said it was only dubbed on Tubi, right? Yeah, they didn't have. I didn't see a a, a Russian language version. I only saw yeah. English dub. So sometimes they have both. Like for Train to Busan, they had both. They have the mm. original Korean language and they have a dubbed version. It's worth pointing out though, because I, I know like a lot of people won't watch the the dubbed version. They'll they'll want the subtitled one uh mm-hmm. me being one of those people <laughs> pretty much mm-hmm. uh, uh with the exception of maybe like some cheesy old godzilla movies maybe i'll throw them on with the dub but for the most part uh i want the original language subtitles no it's, it's good that it's there you know it's easy to access uh, for people to check mm-hmm. it out would you like to read it then i suppose I, I guess we're at that point yeah i would give it a six out of ten Six out of ten. You sounded a little bit positive than that. I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little surprised. <laughs> well, I I'm very conservative when it comes to my rate. Like a a ten out of ten movie to me is like The Exorcist. Like that's the perfect horror film. Like you're not gonna get better than that. A nine out of ten for me would be like the first Nightmare on Elm Street. It's iconic. So I I. I I am very strict with my ratings. I do not hand out those tens and nines lately. I really do not. Oh yeah. But what did you give Conjuring Three last week? Because I feel like I feel like it, was that also a six? Did I give it a six? If I gave the Conjuring Three a six, then this is definitely a seven. <laughs> that, yeah. If I that, gave that a six, then this is a seven. <laughs> this is better than that. This is why this is why I questioned it because I feel like you were more positive on this than you were about Conjuring. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I definitely was. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, yeah. Then I'll give it a seven. Uh, don't let me sway you. I, I don't want to be accused of uh, well, <laughs> making no, you bump numbers. I, if I were to recommend two movies, I would recommend this one before I recommend The Conjuring Three. Yeah. Because because of its originality, even though there are elements that you that remind you of other movies, the story that is told and how it's told is still came off as original to me and i was never bored by it i was really it changed my mind because i actually like i said i wasn't looking forward to watching it because i'm not into like you know uh torture movies but this is much more than that it's not it's not that that type of movie yeah i'm kind of in a similar vein 
Uh, I'm not going to outright call it great per se. Uh, yeah, because again, there's a, a few things it could improve upon. There's a, a few critiques to be had, but um, it's maybe one that you know, if, if I watch it again, maybe the the commentary. If I'm thinking about those ideas throughout the whole time, but, you know, whereas with this, I was kind of gradually starting to think more and more about that as the movie was going on because of the things it was doing. Uh, the abortion thing was the first thing, and it, but when I saw the neighbor. Uh, dresses as a woman, I was like, okay, alright. Th- this feels like it's gotten a lot to say, especially uh, mm-hmm. my perception of what Russia's stance on this as a, as a country. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, I will... I will agree with the 7. Uh, for the record, you can do 0.5s. 0.5s are allowed. Oh, okay. Because uh, I, was, I was tempted to dish out a 0.5. Alright, there you go. That's... Uh... That's Sleepless Beauty. I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers, uh, our Patreon producers for the month, which are Tyler Hess, Cindy Palisades, David Sharp, Board Now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Uh, they are all $20 or more on patreon.com slash TV, where you can go and support us for as little as $1 per month. And for that $1, you get access to bonus episode every month of soon this show starting in august uh, also the atomic cinema experiment uh five dollars gets you early access and and some other stuff so go and have a look and see if you're interested in helping keep all the content coming but you can of course support us for completely free by simply hitting the like button subscribing dinging the bell commenting uh giving us a five-star review on itunes wherever you get your podcast from all those things do help a lot so please please do uh shasha would you like to promote yourself a little bit Oh, definitely. Um, come and check out my channel, What Did I Just Watch, where I review horror, sci-fi, and thriller movies. I'm also on a podcast with wordsmith Crystal Connor, and uh, it's called Coast to Coast Horror, and we talk about horror films from coast to coast and abroad. Well, there you go. Go do that. And uh, otherwise, that has been us. That has been the Sacred Hockey Mask, and we'll be back next week with another recent horror film to talk about. Uh, this one, I won't tell you what it is, but I will tell you it's in English this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realize that doing this as episode two, it might be one of the the least viewed ones we ever do, because this little Russian film that only has 290 votes <laughs> on IMDb. Mm-hmm. But hey, sometimes it's good to be in the... Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the in the rough with the gems, and get, get down there and fighting the, the... Or on the cutting edge, like we can say, well, we did it before it was cool. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone might find out about this movie a week later and then suddenly it's trending. I think a week's optimistic, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) We shall see. We shall see. Uh, But that has been us. So thank you once again for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching scary movies. And if you see a guy wearing a hockey mask, remember that hockey season ended months ago.